0: Welcome to On the Table, a podcast about board games, card games, and tabletop war games. Hey, it's Chase from On the Table Gaming, and in this episode, we got a special treat. We're going to be hearing first up from a coach's corner, from Mark Rupp, to talk about a Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game, and some interesting ideas around getting to use skin changers in your free folk forces more. But then after that, we're going to be talking with the creator of a really cool game called Clear the Decks. And so if you were interested in hearing about Clear the Decks, it's an amazing indie game that I got a chance to play at Captain Con. You're going to want to jump to about 7 minutes into this podcast and that's where our interview there begins. Otherwise, catch our coach's corner here at the beginning and then stay on for the interview. It's a great one. If you've ever thought about designing your own game, there may be some nuggets of information there that'll help you get an idea of what that experience is like. And so without further ado, let's jump on into the coach's corner. We've got the well-known, the somewhat legendary, uh, Mark Rupp. Mark, thanks for joining us for Coach's Corner. <laughs> cool, thanks
1: thanks for having me, Chase.
0: So you've been running some Free Folk here. I know you're well-known for your neutrals, but you run some Free Folk. And uh, you're talking about some combos today that we might want to consider. And you're going to be working with Harma. So what what is this combo that people might consider trying out in their Free Folk lists? Yeah, so
1: <clears throat> I... I've been digging around with Harma because I just haven't played her much in uh, 2021 rules and I wanted to get her out of the table more. Um, so I was looking at ways to kind of abuse what she's got. And one of her kind of more useful abilities here is superior flanking, right? So you need something on a flank that's dealing damage. So <clears throat> looking for things that have easy access to flanks, one of the things that came up was skin changes in the bears because just by nature of how the bear functions, he attacks flanks. So at that point, I had to figure out how to make use of skin changers, which in 2021 have kind of been underwhelming, to say the least. I mean, they're, they're, they're a far cry from what they were pre-2021, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, they have their utility, but um, they're not what they used to be. So one of the trickiest things with skin changers is the nature of how they function, where you have to choose what they do at the start of the round. So you have to kind of telegraph what you're going to do with them and in the case of the bear in particular, um, before you ever get a chance to use the bear. So how do you get around the fact that you have to declare a bear at the start of the round, then you have to get engaged and then you have to, you have to get engaged before you activate it, all sorts of little tricks to actually get it to work. So my thought was, don't put the skin changer in the unit that you want to engage, put the skin changer somewhere safe, get a different unit to engage, and then leverage the Free Folk cards to actually make it all work. So the particular list that I've been looking at, um, I've got Harmony to Spearwise. Where she's at doesn't matter too much, but for this particular list, she's hanging out in Spearwise because it's the and That's where I wanted her. <laughs> uh, then I've got my Fens. Um, which are kind of the new staple now that Spearwives have been nerfed. They go on a lot of my lists. And so I've got my Fens with Raid Leader, Harmas Bannerman. And then I've got Trappers with Skin Changer in there, some Savages with an Alpha, a Chariot, a Craster Val, and Mance. That's the full 40-point list. So my Skin Changer, uh, just to kind of give the rundown on this particular trick, Skin Changer, start of the round, chooses Bear. Fens, hopefully uh, being what they are, get engaged before having activated, because that's kind of how they function what you want to be doing so under the assumption they managed to get them engaged you pull regroup and reform so part of regroup and reform lets you swap two friendly attachments the first part of it where you move attachments explicitly states that you have to maintain normal attachment restrictions but the second part does not and because of that there's just some interesting little interactions that you could do one of which is swapping harmer's bannerman for any attachment so when you build a list, you've got your raid leader and Harvors Bannerman in the unit, but then you can swap Harvors Bannerman with a different attachment. And at that point, you don't have to maintain normal attachment restrictions because the card doesn't say you have to. Oh, I like where this is going. So, Fens get engaged, start a turn, you play your regroup and reform, you swap Harmer's Bannerman for the Skin Changer after having declared Skin Changer bear, you then activate your Fens, you immediately get to deploy your bear in the flank of your target, the Fens have their raid leader, so the bear gets to swing with two attacks on twos rather than the standard one-on-threes, which is sketchy at the least. Um, now that you're attacking the flank, Harmer then gets to trigger her superior flanking, you get your two tokens on the unit. You swing with the bear, hopefully get your two wounds in. Then the Thens get to then trigger their order. You get your two plus three hit or two plus ranked hits. And then the Thens get to attack after that. And since the bear is there, the Thens also get to benefit from raid leader. So you're swinging eight dice on threes. All this with having to get another unit involved. Like it's a self sufficient, self running raiding raid leadering unit.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. And well and it, dep- it does depend on the tactics card regroup and reform, but. You know, that's a good combo to have, like ready at your fingertips to go. That's that's pretty devastating. Yeah. And I feel like you can catch your opponent by surprise with that too.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. People definitely don't see that one generally coming. Um they'll, they'll like maybe avoid the unit that has the skin changer because of the threat of the bear, like avoid engaging. But since you can move the skin changer anywhere that you happen to have an engaged unit, granted the thens is definitely the best target, so you're gonna try and do it there, but really you can do it anywhere. And but beyond that, I mean, if the trappers get engaged and you've declared bear. You can deploy the bear, swing with it. If they don't kill it, you activate it, swing again. And then, if they manage to kill the bear before you get around to activating your Thens, you then, as far as I think the rules work, you can move your skin changer over to your Thens before they activate, activate Thens, redeploy the bear because he's died. I have at least confirmed that you can't redeploy it if the bear hasn't died, but if the bear does die that round, you can redeploy it reactivate it and get your free swing so skin changer is all sorts of weird um, but he has some really interesting interaction the other really kind of neat interaction he's gotten there is that since he starts in the trappers your trappers now have an effective 14 inch trapping range because at the start of the round you're going to pick a unit within 14 inches and then when that unit goes to take its maneuver or march action you can shift within trap range and then trap
0: oh
1: interesting so skin changes double function in that, in that particular list so that's part of why i like them in there and then also since you're running spearwives and trappers you got that coordinated assault nonsense so you can uh share charging volume and yeah. uh, get your trappers to actually get some pretty decent damage output with the shot charge combo
0: that's pretty crazy. So, I mean, this is a fun out. So if you're listening for our Coach's Corner segment this week with Mark, um, you know, see if you can get this then this Warrior skin changer yeah, doubled up with Raid Leader combo off in one of your games and let us know how it goes. And Mark, thank you so much for sharing your tip. Yeah, no problem. Thanks much. And I also got my buddy Brian here joining us today. Brian, thanks so much for coming on. Let's get right into this interview. Um, so not too long ago, Brian, the builder and I, who is joining us on this episode, went up to Captain Con. And, you know, we went up there for a the Song of Ice and Fire tournament and uh, he was playing a War Machine tournament. We got to do some demo games of Conquest and we're really up there looking at miniature wargaming. And there was this one game that really caught our eye and stood out to us. And it was a game that uh, actually wasn't a war game. It was a cooperative card game for one to four players. And this game, Clear the Decks, is what we're going to be talking about today. And we are joined by Chris Pinion from Crispy Games Co. Thank you so much for coming on to talk with us. Uh, Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Let me me set the stage here a little bit more. So we're walking around and there's like all these like towering miniatures and things like that. And uh, you've got a, a booth set up where you're running some demo games. And so we got to sit down, Brian and I side by side. And uh, you know, imagine there's a, a frigate out in front of you, like a ship, and it's on a card. It's, a, it's a flattened out, 2D-dimensional on cardboard, and there were stacks of cards across the top of the ship. And then you sit down, and in front of you is a playmat, and I think we had some deluxe components there. There was like a neoprene little playmat with three slots for different types of cannons. And to my right was Brian, and he got his own playmat as well. And we're facing this frigate out in the open waters, and we've got three cannons each an 18 pounder a 24 power a 36 pound cannon and you know it's sink or swim and uh you know anyway i started blasting and literally i had a blast and uh you know i want to be completely honest about this episode you know i am more of a war gamer and uh, you know, I, I love going for the miniatures up. And this game, out of that whole convention, which I went up to really for wargaming, was the game that I left thinking about and wanting to play. And uh, and that's why you know I'm really just so excited to talk to you about this. So you know, let's jump in and and talk about this game that you have designed and self published by taking it to Kickstarter. So you know, Chris, before we jump into that, what was your path to gaming? Like, what was your entry point to this hobby?
2: So I'm from a family of eight kids. Uh, I'm number two. I have an older brother and then a whole slew of brothers and sisters after me. And we grew up playing games all the time whenever we could. Uh, Summers, we went to the park around the corner and they had a big game closet. And that's what we did all morning. And the other thing I remember now is with eight brothers and sisters, there's a lot of birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> so there were also a lot of games coming in every year. Uh, you know, and we had the standards, you know, we had Risk and Monopoly and Sorry. And and even those three off the top of my head uh, are all highly competitive, uh, ground everybody, you know, pound everyone else into the ground kind of games. And my older brother's four and a half years older than me, so... I tend to lost. I tend to lose a lot. Oh, no. Now, I don't know if, if that led me 30 years later to lean towards a cooperative game. Mm-hmm. But uh, so, you know, that was the childhood. Uh, I got into Dungeons and Dragons as a teenager and played that and wrote a lot of my own modules with my friends, uh, you know, make sketches of, of dungeons and things. You know, then flash forward, I don't know, another 10, 15 years or so, I, my wife knew I liked Dungeons and Dragons and uh, Wizards of the Coast came out with their painted plastic miniatures. Yep. And so she thought it would be nice to buy me a box for my birthday or something. And lo and behold. It was based on a game, or there was a game around it. So I started getting involved in that. Uh, went to Gen Con a couple times in the tournaments and found that there were these game conventions all around me. Uh, I live in Morris County, New Jersey. So down the street in Morristown, there were three every year. And one of them is called Metatopia. And in that is just for playtesting games that people have created. And I went through, I I tried some other people's, you know, handmade and pre-published games. And I was like, yeah, you know, maybe I could make something. So uh, I made something that was like a knockoff on Mealborn. If you've ever played that, mm-hmm. basically a traveling game with, with obstacles thrown in your way. But the one that I, I really was trying to focus on was a game called Clear the Dragons, <laughs> which was, you know, fantasy based with, you would have your mix of characters. Every player, every player had their own mix of characters, and you were trying to knock down dragons with riders on
0: them. So, kind of the clear segue from your your love of D anD D here.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, you, you go with what you know, and uh, as part of Metatopia, you you know, you play test, and you can have. I think they call it like a master test or something like that, where you're getting somebody you know, maybe a game store owner, somebody else who's published, people who really know games. And they didn't really like it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> They're like, well, you know, it, it, there didn't seem to be a lot of choices. And it kind of was like, what but the cards that you got would dictate what you could do. And we all did pretty much the same thing. And it was a little lucky who happened to get a couple more points than somebody else. So I was like, oh, and that's anybody who wants to work on their own game. You've got to have a thick skin. Uh, you know, it's like somebody telling you that your kid is lousy at little league after you spent <laughs> all summer, you know, paying for bad. Well, worse. Right. Cause this is your, this is your games. <laughs> you <kinda. Yeah>. uh, <laughs> so that was rough. And, uh, I, you know, I was looking at it and I was like, you know what? They're right. I can, you have to take a step back. I, there's some people use that phrase too much, but you have to step outside of yourself, try to be as objective as possible. And, how is my game different and why would somebody want to play this game versus any other game that's got dragons and fighters and clerics and everything. And, you know, I realized it wasn't that differentiated. Uh, the other thing that you hate to hear is, Oh, have you played such and such a game? Cause it's a lot like this. Oh, have you? And I, I, forget. Thunderstone maybe was the one somebody said, and something else. And I'm like, no, I never played it. <laughs> and at this point, I don't want to because you know it'll make me feel even worse. <laughs> so, coincidentally, uh, I had always liked the movie Master and Commander, the you know sailing ships Napoleonic uh, with uh, Russell Crowe. And my mom's an avid reader. She had mentioned at one point that it was based on a series of books. So uh, 20 books. uh, And I don't know how far I was along in the the series. I was enjoying it. Uh, You know, that whole thing is cool to me. And well, you know, there's a lot of different people, a lot of different tasks, uh, the battles that they fight. There's a lot of strategy and tactics and it's not all cannonballs it's this other kind of ammunition and uh you know even in the the movie uh you know there's a lot going on Uh, i'm an engineer by education and the logical physicality of it kind of resonated with me also uh not to knock fantasy but uh you know for example uh a lightning bolt doesn't work on a blue dragon why because i said so Right. Magic. It's magic. Yeah. So as opposed to uh, a cannonball is not going to destroy a sail because it's just going to poke a hole in it. And that is something physical, logical and that everybody can mm. understand and, and and get on board with. So when I took Clear the Dragons and, you know, now that you've played it, if you say, OK, well, instead of an you know, think instead of a fighter cleric and a wizard, I've got an 18, a 24 and a 36 pounder. Mm -hmm. And instead of using uh, a sword, an axe, and a bow, I've got round shot, chain shot, grape shot. And now, you know, instead of certain monsters and and whatnot, I've got different parts of the enemy ship and different combinations of characters and weapons will affect different combinations of monsters. So, you know, my my first game was a precursor, uh, but when I started making it more physically relevant... Uh, it it clicked for me more. It made more sense, and the fact that I was really into the subject matter made it very easy. And you know, I would you know, somebody starts talking to me about it, I'm like, oh yeah, it's this and this and this, and here's why this happens and why this happens, and uh, it's fun to talk about the subject matter as well as explaining you know why things happen. It was like your dress rehearsal for the real game. Was you know all that preparedness? Right, uh, and. Also, when you're trying to, you know, obviously, I still have a lot of copies. Uh, When you're trying to, you know, sell a game, the more interested you are in it, uh, Mm -hmm. hopefully, the more interested prospective buyers will be interested in it. You know, if you go, oh, there's Othello. And you're going to flip this disc back and forth. (laughs) Okay. You know, as opposed to, well, there's guns firing and things falling over and people, (laughs) you know, all this stuff. So that's really, uh, you know, that was the evolution of of clear the decks. And I never, in the beginning, it never occurred to me to make it competitive. Mm -hmm. I just, I sat down and and once I started working on it, I was like, well, everybody's firing at the same ship, you know? Um, And that was probably the number two question I got was uh it's great this is comp- a cooperative game are you going to make a player versus player uh the number one question was where are the pirates <laughs> oh yeah of course right you know so, you think of a- and that's also you know a little bit of a, a marketing and, and uh probably pride aspect was you know master and commander you know it wasn't the same it wasn't the, the golden age of piracy Mm -hmm. it was pretty much at the tail end of it uh thinking back about all those all the books You know, uh, they probably went after some Corsairs or something, but it wasn't. It was about Navy fighting Navy. Uh, So that's what the game was set up to be. And I also specifically did not make it country specific. Uh, You know, it's not Britain versus France or U.S. versus France. Uh, But I mixed in different uniforms. My first artist was great. You know, we mixed in different uniforms, different countries. I used some different phrases just to make it as as neutral and fill in the blank as possible.
3: So, I mean, I guess you've gone into what inspired you, but really, you know, how do you sell this? What's your elevator
2: pitch for uh, Clear the Decks? Oh, so um, I'll take a breath. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, Clear the Decks is a uh, solo to cooperative naval combat war game set in the Age of Sail. Each player has a set of three cannons, that they use different kinds of ammunition. They use Marines and tactics and officers to attack uh, a single enemy ship. So all the players are working together. Uh, the enemy ship, you get to pick what size and difficulty it is. So you can what pick one of nine difficulty levels. So you can start off something simple to learn the game or with younger players. You can work your way up to a much larger, much more difficult ship. And uh, the enemy ship is going to be made of, of structures and cannons and crew. And then we throw in events and fortunes that kind of, you know, mess things up or, or help you out when you least expect it. Uh, like I said, it's country non nonspecific. Uh, I like to say it, it's a family friendly war game. Uh, yeah. you, are, you are shooting an enemy ship, but nowhere in the game or in the rules do I say the word kill. Right. Uh, there's none of the cards have blood and guts spilling out all over the place. <laughs> and uh, because it is a naval war game, it's it's not pirates. So there's no buxom pirate girls hanging out all over <laughs> the place. Uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, at its core, it is a you know evolving puzzle game. You've got three sizes of cannon, You've got three types of ammunition, and all the cards you're shooting can be destroyed by certain uh, certain combinations of those. So. Uh, you know, even a six or seven year old, if you know the three numbers and you know the three letters and you can see them on the card, you can
0: play. And I think that's actually one of the things that stood out to me initially too, was that, um, you know, it's a great game that I can play with my wargaming buddies, especially those that are into historicals and they'll jump in for the theme. But this is also a game that I can easily see myself busting out with family or like friends who are not super into like competitive games and uh you know i can just tuck this in my bag and it's a it's a great just sit down cooperative game it's it's relatively easy to learn i mean when we were at captain con how long was that demo i mean we were clipping along pretty quickly how long does that you normally take for you to run like a demo of it so i i try to keep demos to around
2: 30 minutes uh yeah
0: you know most we were events. like actually playing though like it was you gave us the basics and there were a few things that popped out that were like uh-oh like here you go but it wasn't like 30 minutes of instruction
2: no 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 i think i yeah. think yeah I've kind of honed it like, and that was the first event I had done in two years. So the first couple people I'm talking to, I'm like stumbling over it again. I'm like, uh, what, was, best, man. what did I used to say <laughs> back in the day? Uh, but I, I, I can pretty much explain how to play in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And all those other specialty cards you can deal with as they come along. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, and even in terms of, you know, with younger players, you could take all of the officers out of the game and the game still plays. Uh, You could take all the Marines out and the game still plays. And that was something that I learned at, at one of the seminars was, you know, they said, when you're creating a game, create it in its most simplest form first. So just guns, just ammo and just shooting. And then, because if it doesn't work that way, you, you have a real challenge to add things to fix it. you know. And you don't want to be fixing your game all through development. You want the core to be solid. And then you want to put all these other things in to heighten the enjoyment and, and the tension and you know whatever else.
0: I think that's actually a really key point. So kind of the takeaway then is that if you are designing a game yourself, if you've got a problem and the way to solve the problem is by adding things, then maybe there's like, that's a b- much bigger problem than you realize.
2: And after after the first real play test I did um, at Metatopia with this one, somebody pointed out a very fundamental flaw and I had n- another test, you know, a couple more tests the next day. So I was home that night, like scribbling on more cards. I'm like, how can I fix this? How can I fix this? Came up with two options, one of which you know, involved more stacks of cards and adding cards and this and that. And, you know, again, making a bad situation worse or making it overcomplicated. The alternative was that leak card. So I did add a couple cards to the game, but kept only a certain number of stacks, took care of that problem that they pointed out. So yeah, so I can't emphasize the importance of having... Perfect strangers, try your game. And
0: Brian, so out of the two of us, I'm more of like a, a theme sort of guy. To be totally frank, when we were walking by, I saw the ships, and I was like, "Ooh, like what's this?" And uh, and that pulled me in. Brian's, you're you're the go-to mechanics guy. We've gone to some convention. They'll be like, "It's a game. It's like just moving dice or something." And I'm like, "What? Like where's the in the imagination or the stuff?" And he'll be like, "No, oh, the mechanics are so cool." Um, so Brian, what was it? Was there a mechanic or anything that that you really liked that stood out? Uh, when we sat down to play? Well, I
3: like how you, it sort of married the two. Like, the mechanics were very close, sort of selling the sort of the, the naval combat. Uh, that That's what really was kind of strong to me. It's like, oh, yeah, you've got multiple, like, you know, you're firing at different parts of the ship, and you've got different cannons, and you've got different things happening on that ship separately. So really, like, you know, I felt like what was really impressed me was how it sort of uh, definitely... Uh, the theme was sort of built into all of mechanics and very well, sort of tightly coupled together. As you were saying before, you had dragons before and you're firing different spells or what have you, you had different colored dragons or different monsters or what have you. And it's like, okay, you know, you're making the mechanics work potentially. And it could be a great game, I'm not saying otherwise, but it's like when you suddenly have this sort of, oh no, there's a mechanic just like, oh, it, it fits exactly the theme, that's when it seemed like you've got really got something. And it's like, really liked about the game is that
0: true yeah because even starting off like firing the cannons that was cool in itself but then when it was like oh like now there are uh, uh you know additional sort of like tactics cards that come out that we can now further customize things the uh, the uh the officer cards and that that's a really cool way to like scale it upwards
2: yeah and i I, you know, I have to hand it to you know i like to do some shout outs so i was showing it off at uh, my closest Friendly local game store. It's a place, uh, Highlander Games in Booton, New Jersey. Uh, showing it to the owner there, who had, you know, encouraged me all along the way. And uh, he was playing it out. We were I was just quickly showing it, and I said, "Oh, you could do this or that." And he goes, "Oh, you know, yeah, because everybody likes to have choices." And that was like a light bulb moment because until that time, the officers, marines. They only had one action, uh, one okay. thing to do. And I was like, yeah, you know what? It would be nice. You know, officers, these guys are important they, you know, they're smart. What if they had a choice of what to do? uh, then I had to, you know, think of another seven things for all these different cards to do. But <laughs> you know, that offhand remark, you know, you, you, out, of, out of the hundred comments that you get, uh, you know, that you know, that's ridiculous. No, that's a different game, blah, blah, blah. You know, then all of a sudden one hits you. Oh, yeah, that would make the game way better than it is. And that builds off in that theme mechanic. Like, yeah, um, it, it fits pretty well. Like, it's easy to build out there. Especially, you know, and, and with the officers, it's uh, a... Choices between a resource selection and an attack, so, you know, choice, uh, which is, you know, a big part of the game. You know, are we gonna, are we gonna shoot or are we gonna b- rebuild? You know, uh, do we, do we shoot at the thing that's shooting at us or do we shoot at the <laughs> thing that's adding more cards to the, to the enemy ship? Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm big with, with my kids and everybody on consequences, you know? Yeah, you can do this, go ahead. And and when I was, you know, showing you guys and, and anybody else who comes up, I, I try to teach. Then you, you pull back a little bit and, and you wait for that moment where it's like, I just want to let you know, you could get rid of this. You're going to get rid of this card. That's fine. But here's something you're not familiar with the game. Here's what's going to happen if you do that.
0: Right. Uh, or, I fired all my cannons and now. <laughs> right. 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 Uh, yeah, you're not going to have,
2: you know, careful. You're not going to have anything to shoot next turn. I feel like you might have said that to me now. I'm having a flashback. Am I the, was I the shadow in this situation? <laughs> at, at one point in every demo, I have to, you know, make that comment.
3: So, if and when you design another game, potentially, what do you think, you know, given the experience you've had with this, do you think you'd, again, lead with the theme
2: first, or do you think you'd lead with the mechanics? I, I definitely think I'm a theme person. Okay. Uh, and that's. And it's really as far as being interested in. I, I would pull inspiration from the theme. Yeah. So a guy found me online or something like that, and and he's having me consult on a game idea that he had. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting. It's more of like a word and literary game. So I think it's it's clever and it's fun. I don't know if I could see myself going to a dozen game show game conventions and and hawking it and trying to play it over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, some people have asked me about reskinning, yeah, uh, which is you know which is very common. Uh, you know, like uh, what do you got? Like Munchkin, Castle Panic, Flux, all those things. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so Monopoly. I, I've tinkered with, okay, well, what if these were spaceships? You know, mm-hmm. some people don't like sailing ships. There's a whole big space thing out there. So to what extent would I just carbon copy it as opposed to what do I have to change to make it not exactly the same, right. uh, I bring in things that are more space-oriented uh, somebody was like, oh, you also have, like, World War II battleships, and I'm like, well, yeah, but then you're going to throw out Grape Shot and Chain Shot. Uh, yeah. So I think some of it is also the romance of the period. You know, it, you weren't using laser-guided, so you weren't going to hit all, you know. Uh, so uh, I have also tinkered with making this player versus player. How many cards can I reuse? What cards would I have to get rid of? Uh, When people ask me about it, I'm like, well, you know, you could buy two copies and just play two solo games at the same time. You know, you both fire enemy ship attacks, you both fire enemy ships attacks. And you know whoever wins first, or keep going until the other guy loses. Hmm. Uh, nobody's taken me up on that yet. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, tell your friends. That's kind of one of the challenges,
0: though, right? I feel like that was one of the things you know, Brian, you were speaking to was the the mechanics really fit the theme. Um, when you're at your chain shot and you're trying to shoot down the sails, like that fits so perfectly. And I guess yeah, if you did a sci-fi reskin, you could have you know super laser beam that like penetrates the hull, but. It, it just works so well with what you've got. And I guess it's not impossible and maybe down the line you'll, you'll do something like that, but um, it does fit really well here. And I think that was what was what most grabbed my attention to is immediately as we started playing. Um, yeah. It's a card game, flipping over the cards and moving, you're moving things around, but it also sort of made sense just by being like, well, this is like how it, it should work. Like if you're trying to think of like a historic, historical perspective and you're like, okay, I want to be shooting at these things and doing these things and like there's a, like you were speaking to, there's a, a real world logic where you don't maybe get in a fantasy game. Um, and I thought that was so interesting that you said that when you're talking about like, you know, lightning bolts, because I feel like a lot of people I talk to with games are like, oh, do do a fantasy setting. Don't do historical because the fantasy setting, there's like limitless possibilities and you can just make up whatever you want. Whereas in historical, like you got to think of how it actually works. You know, I really thought it was interesting that you were essentially looking at it like in a, in a very different perspective on that.
2: You know, certainly you have to take a little bit of poetic license, yeah, uh, you know, if, if you see the game, you, you look at it, you know, I have I use the the nautical flags uh, throughout the game. You know, we, we I really wanted to make it look nice. You know, it, you said, am I going to do another one? I don't know, but I wasn't I wasn't sure at the time if I ever would. So I at least wanted this one to look nice. Uh, so we used the, the nautical flags everywhere and the three cannons. I wanted to use the numbers, uh, the number pennants. Now, 18 and 24 were very common gun sizes. 32 was the next, but I'm like, well, I already used the two and the 24. So I'm going to make this 36. <laughs> uh, so all the flags are different. Uh, and, you know, and how the different cards are knocked down. Uh, yeah. Sometimes you throw in a round shot uh, card, you know, ability to destroy it. Uh, some of it is also a little anti-tactical, you know, you need round shot to destroy the hull. So I'm going to make the borders card also use a round shot. So you really have to choose what are you going to go after? Where are you going to use this round shot because it's late in the game and you might not have many round shot left. But and a couple of people, Even like the artwork on the game box, someone's like, Well, you have the flags going this way, but the smoke going that way. And it would really be like, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, but that you walked into that when you made a
0: historical game because you're going to (laughs) get rivet counters out there. They're going to be like, You know, there are this many
2: rivets on the side of the ship. (laughs) You know, fortunately, (laughs) nobody's taken me to task too much. And by and large, I think any navy guy who's sat down to play has has enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was in uh, Newport, Rhode Island. They have a tall ship there in the harbor, and I, you know, had my business cards with me, and I I made the pitch, and I gave him the card, and when I got home, I had an order waiting for it. It's not miniatures, uh, so you know, try to keep the costs down. Yeah. But,
0: you know, I think. It, but this it, makes a lower enter. To, it makes a it lowers the entry point. Oh, it's sure. like, it's a pretty quick game to get and, you, and you're having fun. It's quick to learn. Like I said, we played, uh, I think we played, yeah, like about a half an hour, but you know, we were playing the game then uh, and there were still things, new things showing up that you were like explaining, but we were in it. So it's a great one you can get. And I know I was interested in what you're saying about kind of scaling it down for kids. Like it's not super complicated, but uh, it sounds like you could maybe, maybe scale it down a little bit. If you're playing with like younger kids, like eight, 10, 11 year olds, who do you see as like the target audience for this? Is there a particular age range you have in mind?
2: On the one hand, you know, I've really enjoyed showing eight to 12 year olds, you know, if they sit down with their parents It is a family, you know, so it's non competitive, but especially when they get a couple turns in, when they, when, when when the child turns and says, Mom, you should do this, you know, you know, or no, no, don't do that, Mom, you know, here, here, use this card, I'll give you this card, you know, or or something like that. There's lots of video games, and, you know, I have two teenagers. They're, you know, they they weren't little in the age of the iPad and the phone, you know, at least that came Mm -hmm. along. A little more towards their early teens. So to have something that can capture, you know, a a tween or preteens imagination, put the phone down, talk. You can talk while you're playing a game, but in Mm -hmm. this game, you have to talk with each other. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, and that's another thing I mentioned. Like, okay, well, I'm going to do this because you won't be able to, or, you know, to the person ahead of you, well, can you please knock out that gun? Because I only have grape shot and I won't be able to, and I only have this, this cannon's already got two hits and it's going to take damage, you know? So family interaction, very important, but at the same respect, you know, when I was doing play testing, you know, one night I had three tables of adults uh, in my house, you know, running back and forth between the three of them, checking in, checking in, you know, yeah, they're all my friends and relatives, but, they're also serious game players. Uh, and I've done demos at, at open game nights at, you know, at, at uh, stores too, and people enjoy themselves. They chat, they talk, uh, maybe, you know, Needle each other about what they did or what's going to happen to them. Or, you know, um, <laughs> sometimes, you know, I'm going to leave this cannon up for you for spite. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's, there's a little bit of company competitiveness in there too, but uh, you know, so I'm thrilled that, that, you know, it does play throughout the ages. And like I mentioned earlier, I put in nine difficulty levels. So You know, you can play something small with a younger player. Uh, The other aspect of it is, you know, so you've had your three cannons. If if one of you lost all of your cannons, you had the ability to roll one of your guns over to them. So Mm. if mom and dad are playing with junior and he, for whatever reason, is knocked out. Uh, you know, he's gonna go sulk in the corner. We call that consequences. <laughs> <laughs> or he's gonna pick up the phone and 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 you lost him for the evening. So you know what? Yeah. Roll again over. You know, yeah. make sure you give him a card each time he's taking a turn, and uh, and he's back in the game. Yeah, yeah, great.
3: Okay. So, as part of your, you know. The part of the process development, I'm sure, as you are you were building this game or your previous one, you're probably seeing a lot of other games, looking at a lot of games for inspiration. Sort what are the mechanics that like kind of spoke to you um, that sort of led you in uh, to develop the game the way you did?
2: Oddly enough, we were—I don't remember exactly what year it came out—but when people ask me what is my game similar to, uh, the closest thing that I can think of is Castle Panic. Uh, I certainly didn't do it as well as they did, <laughs> but, you know, you are, uh, and, and anybody's not familiar with that game, you've got all the monsters are closing in on your castle, and depending on where they are, you can use a swordsman, a knight, or an archer to attack these monsters. And eventually they're going to get through, and they're going to start knocking down your castle walls, and then possibly you lose. So I'm not hearing game, any cannons, though. what? I'm not
0: hearing any cannons in that game, though. Come on,
2: but but you have um, <laughs> certain situations where you are using certain cards to get rid of mm-hmm. your enemies. It is a war of attrition again. Yeah, you know, in my game, really, you know, it's it's a war of attrition. You're trying to outlast and get down to the end. Uh, you know, hopefully, you're getting the the right cards. You're trying to work together to, to get the right cards in the in the hands of the right person at the right time in order to to maximize your team and. I, I will say honestly, I had didn't really have awareness of that as I was working on it. And it wasn't until later when people started asking me to compare my game to something that I followed of all the games that I had and and realized that, that that was the closest one I could think of. As far as you know trying to get inspiration of certain mechanics, I would say I was more inclined to try to avoid certain things. And and that goes back to one of those playtests um, you know, the precipitous win or the precipitous loss whichever way you want to look at it i had played pandemic a couple times mm-hmm. that is a collaborative game and really tough uh, i tried it with my siblings who who played it a few times and we lost very quickly both times after and, and it still involved a lot of discussion so i was like you know all right you know in this case in that case you're all unique contributors so that meant you were limited i guess in in what you could do individually so i was like well you know you don't want you don't want everybody ganging up on and i don't even remember like oh don't gang up on the doctor and the other four people are saying he's has to do this thing because he's the only one or or whatnot so in my game everybody has their own hands and and ultimately you're going to fire them or not fire them with whatever you want at whatever you want mm-hmm. and you're more than welcome to discuss it. But at the end of the round or you're turn, you are doing what you want to do with your stuff. Uh, you know, there's certainly games when, when you have four, four strangers playing and people might start commenting or, you know, um, but so that was, you know, the, the, trying to avoid the quarterbacking and letting everybody kind of have their own similar decisions to make each turn as opposed mm-hmm. to really feeling boxed in, but then getting back to this precipitous uh, win or lose. So originally, you know, you could have two, three, or four stacks of cards on the ship. And in the first play test, the people said, okay, well, if we always shoot at this one stack every turn, regardless of consequences, then pretty soon we're going to have one fewer stack of cards on the ship and it will be easier. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, yeah, but you should work them all down evenly. And they said, no that's not the best way to win this game now it might not be the most enjoyable way to play the game right but it's the best way to win the game and that was uh i will say like a pivotal thing to fix so i Hmm. did come up with a way where you you can do that if you want but as it turns out you can't get rid of all the cards in any stack so you can get it down to one card and actually, those cards are the worst. So now the best way to play the game is the best way to win the game.
0: <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, and One
2: on top of, these... of that, having the worst cards at the bottom of the ship. Uh, and also, you probably got, you know, these borders come out there and they're worse than cannons. So you can get down to almost winning, yet the ship. Has a way to try to beat you more quickly than it did before, mm-hmm. so you can be in the home stretch but not win. And that was again something like, okay, well, yep, you no, know, we're almost done, so we're good. You know, one person in Monopoly, they've got fifteen thousand, and everybody else has five hundred dollars left. You're not coming back from that.
0: So let's talk a little bit about uh, designing games. Now, you you self published this game and you brought it through Kickstarter. How big is your team for this game? Uh. If you count the
2: artist, <laughs> two.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. So you're wearing a lot of different hats here. Now we've talked to game designers, developers, uh, and, uh, you know, there's producers for these games. There's a whole cadre of other people in distribution, et cetera, all working together. What's maybe in your mind, maybe the best and the worst thing about self-publishing a game?
2: Uh, um, the best thing. Okay. About, you know, the best thing is creating it and thinking of new cards, uh, sketching them out. Will this work? Will it not work? Uh, as far as the self-publishing goes, you know, uh, I'm an engineer, so I, I deal with projects, but even then it was still mind boggling how much was involved, you know, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely give uh, cred or pay homage to metatopia not only is it all the play testing but it's also uh seminars all weekend long where you get mm-hmm. the game store owners people who have done kickstarter artists uh publishers game company people all these people giving like one hour classes you know on okay here's what you need to do here, here's what you need to know about if you're going to hire an artist do this, do this, do this, do this, you know, watch out for that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, Here's what you have to consider when you're going to, when you're looking for a publisher, you know, a a printer, I should make a distinction there, a printer. Okay. Well, you know, you could go here, you could go there, you could go small, local, you could go uh, somebody in China and they're going to need a thousand and it's going to take you four months to get it. And, or more, you know, nowadays. um, Right. Oh God. How much is your game going to weigh? Because, yeah, I had friends. They did great. And all of a sudden they realized, oh, our game is over two pounds. So it's going to cost us more than what we thought it was going to ship. Oh, that's no good. Um, Or FOB versus dock to stock. You know, the, these things, all these these details that come up when you're, you know, and I thought I did a decent job, but I would have, it would have taken me a lot longer and cost me a lot more if I had not listened to all these people who out of the kindness of their hearts were trying to educate all these other people who had the same ideas that I did. And I also have to say, you know, the, the community wants everybody to win and I'm more than happy to, you know, pay it back, pay it forward. Any of these game things, you know, any of the the conventions, there's always a couple of people every day who ask me those same questions you are. Like, what was it like? And, you know, how long did it take? And what was your worst mistake? Yeah, my worst mistake was not <laughs> budgeting properly. Uh, you know, um, things, you know, certainly, oh, well, it's going to cost you this much to get it to the ports. And then it's going to cost you to get it to fulfillment. And then they're going to charge you to ship it. Then it's going to cost more or less to go to different places. And, oh, you have people in in, in England, in in Europe. Well, oh, so it's gonna cost you from your one facility yeah. center to ship yeah. it to the other facility like, center and taxes. Jeez, oh,
0: the VAT tax and shipping yeah. in
2: Europe is atrocious. Uh which is funny because that might be a big
0: audience too, right? When they're like these like historical naval battles and you're seeing the, the English flag on some of the cards, and you get, you know, kind of a Napoleonic era. Oh, sure. In terms of
3: playtesting, how do you go about getting the most out of you know, finding people to, to test out your game just sort of validate the game as you went along and developed it like do you have the same crowd of people did you have one person that sort of was sort of kind of working pretty closely alongside you sort of being a kind of muse or inspiration or just sort of a, a solid sounding board how did you uh, what was your, your approach
2: there alright so yeah there's some funny stories there uh, anybody who has a significant other mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to take a deep breath. <laughs> and if your relationship can survive playtesting, more power to you. <laughs> you know, like I said, you know, you trained your son all summer to catch fly balls. And when he goes out there for his first game and he misses the, you know, the game winning run and everybody looks at you, it's tough. And, yeah, you know, I sat down with, with the Dragons game and with this game with my wife and my daughter. And, you know, you start trying to teach it. And then, like, well, why why did you do this? Why did you do that? How come I can't do this? How come you do that? Blah blah, blah. And, uh, you know, the knuckles turn white and the blood pressure starts rising. So now when i when i'm bringing something to her i will say i didn't proofread this Mm -hmm. do you like the layout of the card don't look at the word you know it's like or i you know i did clip art this is not the way the card will look do you understand that what it you know the words you know so uh you know we had to establish that between each other (laughs) just so that there were no hard feelings um you know, because what you don't want, uh, you know, everybody knows the movie My Cousin Vinny. You know, you want he <laughs> wants her to support him, so she's like, well, "Oh, that was so wonderful the way the judge threw you in jail." You know, uh, no, you want, you know, you need you need the harsh criticism. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. but it can be really tough to take it from somebody who's typically there to support you. Sure, and you have to understand that in this situation that is how they are supporting you. They, mm-hmm. they are in effect, protecting you from going out outside and having lots of other people tell you the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that they, they're helping you. So, so that was, you know, certainly one of the first rounds, uh, you know, like I said, I have, I have a big family, so I still have uh, my three brothers are all in the state. So they all tried it, you know, and, they all have played games their whole life also. Yeah. So, you know, I had, a, I had a pretty good, you know, cadre of testers. My youngest sister out of all of them is, is the most of an avid gamer. And, you know, I had to create a special rule because of her. You know, we, you know we, she, she broke the game to, to some extent. You know, she figured out a loophole, I'll say. Oh, uh, you know, I said, you can, you can roll a cannon over to somebody who's lost one. So in this, this night, I have three tables running, I'm running back and forth and they were, there were four players, two were knocked out. One was down to two cannons. One was down to one. They weren't going to last. So I went back, checked on them, I come back. Now there's one person with one can. i like, okay, you'll, you'll be done in five minutes. I come back. There's still one person with one can. I said, how are you surviving? And she said, well, each turn, we roll the cannon to the next place <laughs> so that it can't get destroyed. Oh, yeah. And we hope to pull one of those cards where we can get a new cannon. And I'm like, well, that's not very good. <laughs> that's not what we're supposed that's to have. That's good happen. to catch, though, right? Good to catch it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I put in that, you know, I had to put in a rule, you know. No, you can't roll away your last cannon. Uh, so that's the, that's the Jennifer rule. I see. Yeah, <laughs> so that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so you oh, mentioned Oh sorry. So and then, you know, like I said, these these unpub events, um, Metatopia, actually Pax Unplugged also has like a demo program. There's a couple other uh like in-between shows. There's uh the Connecticut Festival of Indie Gamers, uh, independent games, and there's the Boston Festival of Independent Games. I'll say those are for people who are a little further along, you know, you're submitting a video, you're getting judged, there's a winner, you know, there's best this, mm-hmm. best that, what have you. Um, so for those, if if you take them seriously, you want to be as far along as you can. But it's Festival of Indie Gamers, you know, so they're expecting to possibly have input. <laughs> yeah. They so have to give a lot. Like, you're not like one and done. What What's the future look like for you? Uh yeah, it's I also have to say, you know, um, you know, you said wear many hats. So, you were there. Yeah. You know, if you show the video, I don't know, but you know, there, there you go. go. You have to wear the hat. And <laughs> you know, for people who know me back then, for me to go to a show by myself, talk to a whole bunch of street Jews, you know, let them bear the slings and arrows and put on this goofy hat. Uh, the money doesn't matter compared to the personal growth, Uh, you know, learning how to do all that. uh, uh, You know, once you do it the first time, you're much more prepared trying to do it again. As it turns out, you know, I got a family, I got a day job. So to start from scratch on something completely new and, and do the circuit again, uh, you know, it would take something very for me to stumble into something very special to actually, start all over again. Were you working on expansions, maybe? Or were there other things in the work? It's still trickling in your mind? Oh, oh, yeah, sure. It's it's very hard sometimes, you know. It's it's a quiet day at work, or, you know, you finish your sandwich early, and you know, at lunch, and you're like, oh, uh, what about that? Or uh, you happen to watch another, you know, you watch another Pirates of the Caribbean movie, and you're like, that's an interesting little thing that happened there. So, and there were still, there were plenty of cards that didn't even make it into the game the first time around, just because... It can only be so big. Mm. So I already knew, you know, it'd be nice to do an expansion. As I mentioned earlier, the, the number one question I got was, where are the pirates? <laughs> so I, I, I had my prepared answer. And that was, well, if I get funded on Kickstarter and a game gets published, I promise the first expansion will have pirates. So I stayed uh, true to my promise. Uh, I kickstarted. Well, actually, the other thing was the playmats. I had originally just made them out of paper. They have a lot of the rules on them and it looks neat because it's like a little ship. But to hit a certain price point and complexity and things like that and weight, I didn't put them in the game. So I had backers like, so what happened to the playmats? So a month. And also, I I just barely made my goal. It wasn't really as much as I had wanted. And Kickstarter is like its own art,
0: right? Like Uh, navigating that and like... Uh,
2: you know, I, I certainly had a decent number of people pledge who only saw it on Kickstarter. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, you're paying 9%, but it's basically advertising. You know, you're, you're paying for mm-hmm. advertising. Uh, so a month later, I kickstarted the Playmats, and that did much better than I expected. <laughs> so it was nice to have that money to to go really towards the, you know, finishing the development of the original game.
0: I really like the playmats too. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, the, the, the deluxe
2: components are always good. Oh, yeah. sure. So, sure. Um, and uh, another thing about my first go around and, and the evolution of Kickstarter, especially for games, my game was not done when I went to Kickstarter. I had, I had all of the cards printed in one way or another. Uh, a lot of the artwork wasn't finalized. The backgrounds weren't finalized, so you might have a, you know like a picture of a guy, but there's no background. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I had used clip art, you know, uh, whatever free domain stuff that we knew we were going to replace. So I was like, okay, you know, thanks, you know, I should be shipping out in six months or something like that. You know, and six months became ultimately became twelve months uh, when I fulfilled. Nowadays, it seems there's more and more of it's ready. It, it's ready to ship, you know, we've, we've done all this and it's that's especially, you know, the people that have done this multiple times and maybe have mm-hmm. a little more momentum. Uh, certainly if you are the artist, that's a tremendous advantage mm-hmm. uh, or if at least there's an artist, like you said, on your team. So for, for pirate hunters, which was the one I did in September, in that case, I did want to have it done. So other than a couple errors that i had to fix it was ready to go Uh, i wanted to ship it in time for christmas didn't quite make it you know it got out like first piece first were right before new year's and the rest were sometime in january and europe got theirs in february uh but uh it it took a lot of the anxiety off knowing that you know it was pretty much done uh and that's really what i'm trying to do so i have i really have cards written for two more packs uh two more 54 card decks uh the goal is to release one this september you know kickstart again in september and then kickstart again next year mark our calendars do i have to kickstart at this point probably not you know i i did pick up a few extra game sales when i when i had the expansion up you know, it does cost you a bit. There's certainly a feather in your cap to say how many successful campaigns you've had. Three. Mm-hmm. Three and oh. Uh, nice. You gotta you gotta yeah. Yeah. We gotta do. So uh and you know, and, and certainly the the collecting of the money and the kind of like the finality of okay, place your order in effect, place your order by this date mm-hmm. uh to ensure that I'm gonna do it. Mm -hmm. okay, I know I've got 50 copies sold. Okay, so I'll print 100 or 150 this time around. And uh, yeah, as opposed to just saying, okay, it's for sale now. And then like, well, so how many do I order? And what if people don't like this one? And then I'm stuck with all 150, 145 copies that I ordered. So it's nice to kind of, you know, have the deadline, at least know what you've got covered and then order, you know, however many more you think you might, sell over the next 15, 20 years.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I really appreciate you coming on here to talk with us. And you know, once again, I want to say like we went to Captain Khan. I did not go to that con uh, thinking I would play anything but war games. I went up there, Ryan, you're doing a war machine uh, tournament. We got to do a demo of Conquest, which is another big miniature game. And like I said, driving home, the game I was thinking about was actually your game. And, uh, you know, I yeah, I hear you talking about how you you had to do this on your own. You had to go into the play testing. You know, there's a certain sort of like level of uh, social exhaustion of maybe having to stand there at a con as people come by, either walking by and watching them walk by or coming by and being like, all right. Let's do a demo game, and then like another demo game, and another demo game, and uh, you know I was really impressed. And if it's if it's anything, you know I I hope it's uh, you know you you feel seen in that moment because uh, you know that was fantastic. And I think you got a great game here. And I'm actually really looking forward to 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 getting that uh, Kickstarter notification that you're going to do. Right, you're going to because you're going to kickstart it September. And uh, that'll be on our radar. And if people want to check out more about your game is the best place to find you at crispy
2: games, co.com. Uh, yes. Uh, you know, that's, that's pretty much the, the moniker that I have for everything. So I don't really tweet that much anymore. You know, when, once you're doing a show or something like that, you might, you know, put out a few pictures or Instagram, but uh, Facebook and the website. So Facebook is also just crispy games, CO and on the website you'll see my backstory you'll see you know uh links to different playthroughs you can um i'm pretty sure i have the kickstarter video there you can also just go on kickstarter search for clear the decks Uh, i believe you can pull up past campaigns so you'll see the videos there as well but um uh, youtube you can search for clear the decks also and i have a couple playthrough videos there um you know I'm I'm a buy the book guy, so I'm not mm-hmm. uh, gonna. I'll say it's not super flashy. I'm very dry, and I'm explaining how the game is played and what is in there. So, gotta get that information. If you're looking for the exciting presentation, uh, then you need to go to Pirates Parlay. Uh, he's a guy out in Vegas, yeah, fully dressed, whole garage studio, and. You know, I found him online and, uh, you know, I sent him copies of the base game. He's one of those guys, you know, if you find something he likes, he does a pitch video for you. <laughs> and it was phenomenal both times. And with the expansion, even, I was like, damn, <laughs> I wish I did that. Uh, I saw I his videos, like, yeah. <laughs> you do this and you do this. And he's like, "No, no, no, you know, so, you know, <laughs> best advertisement for my game is, are, are his videos. <laughs> Fantastic. And they're all linked well, you know, on the, the website. Well, that's what it is. If you're going to be at PAX Unplugged
0: in, uh, it's been a couple of years since we've been now because of COVID. Um, if things are back up and running, fingers crossed, let's see, let's make sure we cross paths. We'll be down there with some cameras and stuff. We do media passes
2: down there. I did. And uh, uh, we'll come see you. I ya. elbowed my way through the kindness of strangers into a booth there this past year. Was, was by far the best show I had ever been to. You know, and as a single person, you know, occasionally I've been able to drag friends or something to, to be in a booth with me. You know, that's a three-day Yeah, you gotta show. get a crew. You gotta, uh,
0: you know, you're, you you got a captain. This yeah, uh, out there rowing the oars. And
2: you know, you're you're <laughs> ha- you're you're halfway into a pitch with people at the table, and then you see somebody slow down and start looking at you also. And you know, if you had a second person there. Uh, or space for a second demo table. You know, the guy that, that was helping me, he's like, he's, you know, it's like, you could have sold twice as many. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know about twice as many, but you could have sold more. I, I didn't have the demo pack. I, I think I probably would have sold one expansion with almost every copy that I sold. So I'm, I'm certainly going to go and get my own booth uh, at PAX unplugged. You know, it's, it is a hobby, but you don't want to just throw, you can't throw endless amounts of money at it. Mm-hmm. So, You know, doing something like CT Fig, that's like a three-day show and you have to set up the day before. And so that's like four nights of hotels plus the booth money. That gets expensive. So these smaller shows, I think they, you know, are learning that, you know, it costs us a lot of money. Um, Even Captain Con, you know, the town charges you $50 a day for a sales certificate. Jeez. Like, Really? Uh, yeah. And then you throw in hotel and travel and all that. So I think I actually came out ahead at that one. You know, you mentioned like standing there and watching people go by that's almost every Sunday <laughs> at any of these Oh, people are exhausted. They're going to get, they get up late. They had something they wanted to do or they have that Sunday tournament that the, that's the only reason they're sticking around. Uh, so like even at captain con, I could have let, you know, I could have saved one hotel's night stay uh, one day's worth of sales certificate. And I would, you know, that would have been cash in my pocket as opposed to being there that third day. And with really small games is,
0: you know it's, it's small margins, right? You gotta be careful about this stuff. So if people see you at, uh, either of these events, you gotta make sure they come on over, say hi and get in a demo game of this. Yep. I mean, in a lot of ways, it sells itself, but yeah, sit down, play a game, check this out. And, uh, you know, you were talking about also you are doing a little bit of a mentorship, having gone through the School of Hard Knocks and learned everything the hard way. People are trying to make their own games. It sounds like you're giving some advice there. So uh, if they want to reach out to you, they can go out to your social media sites and, and your website. And I don't know if you're up for doing more consulting. How's that sound? I'm very reasonable. <laughs> I have very reasonable rates. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on. And uh, for everybody listening, go check this game out. And we hope you get it on the table.